Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unspooled. Yes, it's still just me holding down the fort, missing my Paul Shear something fierce. But the good news is he will definitely be back. He will definitely be back. We are going to do this next week. We are so ready. I cannot wait to see Paul, to talk about contact with Paul, even if it means that Paul might say some bad things about my basketball team. It has not been pretty. He's been texting them, but oh, I deserve to have them said to my face. Um, But that said, Paul Return will be back next week, thank God, to continue our exploration of space podcast, our journey into the beyond, hand in hand, talking about contact, talking about the other films that you guys said that you thought we should definitely talk about, um, which you guys have great taste. We're very excited about this. But for now... We are, once again, going to celebrate with a podcast that we did online on YouTube that we had so much fun doing in early pandemic. We referred to this, actually, when we were doing our episode on Fast Times at Ridgemont High, how much we loved talking about Amy Heckerling, beloved director, beloved person to me, when we did our Clueless Spool Party. So we did, yes, an entire Clueless Spool Party on YouTube dedicated to our love of this film. It was totally wonderful, and one of the things that you will hear on this is Rana from Ask Rana showed up to give our listeners advice. What you cannot hear is that we did a hair tutorial, how to get the amazing hair that Amber, the redheaded character in Clueless has. That was absolutely wonderful. Um, I want to thank again our magical hairdresser, Becca Weber, for coming out and helping with that. This is the kind of fun stuff we can do on video. We need to do some more video stuff. We got, we got to get some video on. But that said, without any further ado, Let us celebrate a movie that is very close to my heart, very close, I hope, to many of your hearts. And if it's not, maybe we convince you by the end of this episode. Have fun, you guys. I'm Paul Shear. I'm Amy Nicholson. And every week we do this show called Unspooled, where we talk about the greatest movies of all time, or what the AFI deems is the greatest list of all time. But 
we wanted to take a moment to salute the films that may not belong on this list, but are special, special films. And before uh, this pandemic hit our country, Clueless was about to celebrate its 25th anniversary, 25 years. We're going to have special screenings all around the country. It did not happen. And 25 seems so old because when I saw this movie, it seems like just yesterday, Amy. Yeah, this is really maybe one of my first favorite, favorite movies. I felt like it was of my generation, the generation I wanted to be, that I wanted to go to the mall and buy all of the clothes from Clueless and pretend that this is who I was going to grow up to be. Somebody half as cool as Cher Horowitz, which does not happen when you're in suburban Texas, but you can really give it a shot. You know, I wanted to play a game with you really quickly. I wanted to see if you could guess what is older or younger than this movie. All right. So, for example, uh, Miley Cyrus, older or younger than this movie? Younger. Miley Cyrus is older. She's 27. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how about Timothy Chalamet? Younger. Yes, he's 24. Or how about the movie um, The Usual Suspects? Younger. I know this one. Yes? Younger? No, it's exactly what? 25. Yes. A uh, twin? That's not fair. Can you be a twin? <laughs> and what about Scream? Scream is younger. younger. It is younger. It's 24 yes. years. Uh, I'm going to ask a couple more. Uh, salt and Peppa's Shoop. Is older. You're right. 27 years. <laughs> all right. Uh, You're making this, me access all of my fifth grade dances information. I love it all. all right, how about this Montel Jordan classic? This is how we do it. Older or younger? Younger. Uh, that is exactly 25. You, a right double there. twin? What are you? As a yeah, Gemini, I, mean, I, I would like to disqualify twin answers. <laughs> um, and how about this one? One final one. Uh, the Furby. Older or younger? Older. Younger. 22. Furby is younger than this movie. Amy, wow, this movie makes me, now that I'm knowing it's 25 years, makes me feel a little bit old. Uh, you know, this is... This is a, you know, but it it's a kind of a timeless movie. I just watched it, obviously, for this, and I enjoyed it so, so much. And we have so many things that we want to talk about. I actually have my old my own older and younger quiz that I was going to throw out to the crowd, but now I just want to torture you. We'll see. Okay. And, you know, this movie is about love, and we did bring on a relationship expert tonight to talk about love. So we wanted to, you know, reach out to everybody watching tonight. If you are, you know, hashtag stay home. You probably are wondering about that person you were texting before you went into this, or maybe you're looking to find love. We're going to help answer those questions tonight. So send them up on the uh, the chat uh, below, and we will start uh, bringing in our relationship expert. She'll help you with some of these love advice questions. Well, Paul, let uh, me, I, I want to ask you this. Did you have a, a serious girlfriend in high school? You know, I dated a, a girl that I used to work at the Blockbuster video with, uh, and it was kind of serious, but I went to like a private school, like a Catholic school, and she went to a public school. And I feel like uh, it was kind of a, you know, I feel like we never could quite connect. We weren't at the same school. I feel like when you're that young, you need to kind of live close to each other to to make it work. This is pre-car. Hello. Hello. Well, here's our special guest. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, Am I early? Am I late? What's you're going perfect. on? You're perfectly on time. This is uh, Ronna Glickman. How are you staying so handsome in quarantine, Paul? You know, I'm just trying to get some sleep, moisturize. You look fantastic as well. Thank you, Dan. And the lipstick on Amy, is she fabulous? Uh, I dressed up for you. I'm so I jealous love, of your outfit. I love your outfit for this movie. It's pretty. And I love the yellow as a nod to share. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Fabulous. 
Now, uh, Rana, you have your own podcast uh, called Ask Rana with you and uh, Brian Safi. It comes out every Tuesday. You're giving advice yeah. all the time about relationships. You know a lot about relationships. I would say that you, you've kind of, you've been around, you, you have a, a good worldview about things. Well, that's very kind of you. I've been around the block, Paul, you could say. Yeah. Uh, so I know a thing or two about relationships, or I know what I know. Let's put it that way. Okay. So everybody, right. everybody might not agree with me, but I know what I know. If that, if if that makes any sense. No, it does. You know, we actually have a wonderful guest. Oh, you, are you listening? Well, we have a very, we have a question from one of our listeners, uh, Stephen Wagner, and he okay. asks, "Is five years any relation too long? to Robert?" You know, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's spelled a little bit differently. I <laughs> oh, think it's okay. a little bit. What do you think about Robert Wagner? You think he was guilty in that Natalie Wood issue? I think there was something going on with him and Chris Walken. I think there was a scuffle, but I think there was a lot of alcohol involved and it's hard to know exactly who's responsible. It is. There's a great podcast out there that I don't remember the name of, and it really blew my mind uh, yeah. how, how, how kind of tangled and weird that whole night was. It was a very troubled group. And I think <laughs> on any given day, any one of them could have gone over the back of that boat. Honestly, I think anytime yeah. you're sailing out to Catalina, you're already in trouble. I don't yeah. think that's a play. You know? <laughs> um, all right. So Stephen Wagner writes, is five years too long to be engaged? Uh, well, it's not too long if you don't have any plans to get married. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Some people only want to be engaged and that's fine. Right. They don't have any plans to be, they're, they're long-term partners. The engagement is close enough. And they're not dying to be married. Some people don't really want to be married. They just want to know they're committed to another person. And that kind of gives you this answer of like, basically like we're engaged, get off our case. You don't have to ask us because when I got engaged, people immediately yeah. ask us, when's the wedding? It's like, well, just, this just happened. Like, let us have our time. Well, here's the thing. If it's bothering you that people are asking, when are you going to get married? Then you mm -hmm. shouldn't have gotten engaged because wow. an engagement is an advertisement that says we're getting married. So it's like a coming have, soon billboard. It is. It's a trailer. So yeah. people have a right to ask when the film is coming out. Okay. You, I, but, I, so I you don't that. get to let that bother you. You get to okay. say, but you get to say, never. If we get married, we're not getting married because if we get married, we'll want to get divorced. I always, I always want, but I don't have, or whatever it is. But, but people are within their right to ask uh, when you I like that. You right, don't have and, to feel uh, the pressure, but they are within their right to ask. I think you're right. I like that idea that it is a coming attraction. Like, why are we teasing them with this thing and then getting mad at them for just simply? You, you just know, can't. You just can't get mad. You just have right. to accept that you're putting them off and that they're going to ask. So they ask. So you answer. That's it. Um, what about a question that comes from somebody a little bit earlier on in their relationship status? This is from um, Cecily B. She says, "What should I do if I was flirting with a guy in my college class and now the class is all online?" Well, that's it. Well, I guess the first question is what sort of communication she has with him. If she's willing to, if she's willing to, uh, you know, send a shot across the bow, basically a warning shot and see if she gets anything back. You mean like slide so she, into his course notes DM? Exactly. I think with those Google classrooms, they have ways of chatting with each other, or maybe there's a way if she has his text while the cl class is happening to say, is this guy going to go on forever? Or do you, or do you think he's wearing pants or, you know, something cute. And if you get something back, you can keep it going. But I do think quarantine is very difficult for, in terms of momentum. And I think yeah. so many people, their momentum and flow has been in 
interrupted by this. Well, so, so it's very, it's going to be very, some of that will just be lost to the annals of history and some of it will reconnect, you know? Well, I've, I've kind of heard a lot of people, and this is actually uh, what somebody was asking about, like this idea of like first dates on Skype. Is it even worth it to do a first date on Skype? I mean, you never, I mean, can you have a dating life over Skype? Why not? You're bored to death. You know what I mean? It, it's, I mean, if you, if you can be, if you can connect, I'm not suggesting, you know, you need to get hot and heavy over Skype on the first date necessarily. Right. I mean, if you do, I suppose you do, but you'll have to live with, you'll have to live with having made that decision and whether he's you, got a camera or she's got a camera or I don't know, or they have a camera, however. Do they have works. good lighting? I mean, that's the other thing. You have to well, come correct. Very I mean. important. And in the New York Times last week, they asked Tom Fullwood, the fashion yes. designer, the, fa- the most fabulous man in the world, uh, what a person should do when they're on a Skype. And his answers were pretty much the answer anyone would give, which is have a camera on the other side of you, uh, have a light rather on the other side of your laptop so that you're getting direct light to your face. Have a pretty that. good background. I mean, it's amazing to me what you see in people's backgrounds. No, you got, you when, can't It was like when people first did selfies. Remember they'd have toilets behind them or, yes. you know, a cat, whatever it is on John Oliver, a cat licking its own genitals or what, you know. Have a have a look at what the what's going on in the frame. I mean, because here's the moment. You all you have to do is create a two by four window. I mean, there's not much you have to do. Take down those embarrassing pictures. You know, create a mood though. Create a little mood. I mean, you've created a great mood. I'm so interested. Flowers. I was going to say, take a note from Amy. Look at that gorgeous red lipstick. Look at that whole lot. For all we know, she's wearing bikini bottoms. We don't know what is going on. How did you know? <laughs> but we know uh, she looked like a very hip with a gal who matched her, her couch to her lipstick. I mean, well, can I ask you this though? I mean, in the movie Clueless, yeah, Cher does a lot to try to get male attention by buying herself presents, by p- showering herself with big bouquets like the beautiful one you've got with you, yeah. giant boxes of chocolate. Do you think that that is like a good successful strategy for a a, a good grounds to build a relationship on if you're manipulating the game a bit? You know, I'm not a big one for playing games, to be honest with you. I think I think it's important to put your best foot forward always. So if we're talking about having a date over Skype or FaceTime, uh, come on, okay, put on a little lipstick, pick a nice corner of your house, present yourself the way that you want to be presented. But I don't think you should be disingenuous. And and I've just never been one for how do we figure out how to how to make it seem that others are interested in order to, you know, send the stock rising or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting when Cher makes that choice because she actually is so genuine throughout the whole film. And even though she, at least the, first, the beginning of the film, and even though she's a negotiator and she's negotiating on her grades and this and that, I think that's genuine to her. And so I, I think what she, for the most part, does is actually puts her love life to the side. We don't even see her having a love interest until, yeah. I don't know, more than halfway through the movie. And because we, you know, we're building the Josh thing on the side or whatever. But I think it's interesting that when she does make that choice, she's not really being genuine. And then the thing that happens with Josh is a completely genuine, natural. I mean, if we're going to just accept the dating of stepbrothers natural, then. Fine. That is yeah. a kind of an odd but, point of the movie that they kind of very glossed over. There's a little, there's a, the timeline's a little fuzzy on how much time they spent together as children and yeah. why he's so close with his stepfather if they were only married for 10 minutes. So, you know, it's a little fuzzy at the time, yeah. but we'll accept it. But, uh, but I, think, I think you want to be as honest as you can be while also putting your best foot forward. 
I've never sent myself flowers is the short answer to your question. But, well, on, but the other here, thing, on the other hand, quite a few people have sent me flowers. Wow. Look at, well, yeah. now, yeah. Hmm, I'm, now I'm questioning if that's but true. I do, but, I, but I do buy myself flowers. Oh, I like that. I love, right. So you're not, yeah. you're not trying to fool anybody. You just actually no, treat yourself nice. I love flowers, fresh flowers. But, let me ask you this, you know, Cher seems to be someone who is concerned about people's relationships and trying to put people together. You yeah. know, you obviously give a lot of advice. Do, do you think that sometimes when you're so focused on everybody else, you can't really be focused on your own relationships? I mean, what's going on in your love life? That's very interesting, Paul. I think that's actually a very astute observation. Thank I you. think you can't give to everyone and to yourself in equal measure, I would say. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm a widow. Okay, people that know me know me well. I had a wonderful husband, Bob, Dr. Bob. We were married for many years. Fabulous guy, very successful, tan all year, that sort of thing. Really a wonderful provider and a wonderful companion. Very great intellectual, great conversationalist when he felt like talking. Okay? When he wasn't sort of taking, me, taking work home, let's say. At this point in my life, I really have everything that I need. And then when it comes to companionship, my rule is I really only spend time with people that can improve my life. If you think of your life as a baseline that you're sort of responsible for, right. the only people you really should spend time with are people that are plussing that Getting it up. Dial. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I think a mistake a lot of people make when they're young is that they think it's. They think everything is sort of the messiness, and this is look just what we all do. But love is a little messy, and sometimes people are cruel. And I think after that happens to you once or twice, you should know there really is no rule for that in any. There is really no room for that in any human relationships. And so, well, people that come into your life really should only be making things better, and you should be enjoying that quality time of that piece of the pie that you give to them. But the second that stops happening. Well, then before we let you go, because this has all been great advice and I think it's helping a lot of people, uh, Lucy LaPlaca wrote that her crush is uh, constantly posting on the internet about how happy they are in their current relationship. Uh, so if you, uh, maybe, if, you know, and, 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 how, and so how much they miss their significant other, um, yeah. how do you avoid single bitterness when you're seeing people like just effusive, like, I'm so excited to be here. We're making bread together. We're doing all this stuff together. Or I miss my other person. How do you, how do we avoid that? Probably the easiest thing to do is allow yourself to feel it a little bit Mm. because it's never quite going to go away. I think we're kidding ourselves. Look, jealousy is a very destructive emotion. It's not helpful. You don't feel good. You can't do anything about it. You can't change the day. You can't make people behave a certain way. You can't change the situation but it's a very human emotion. So you should probably allow yourself to feel it a little bit and then say, okay, that's normal. Everybody feels a little jealous. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And I think in this moment though, people have to really accept many things are on hold. And that if we, and look, I'm not encouraging everybody to look at the incredibly depressing news every day, but I do think you have to keep abreast of what's happening. And you have maybe, to understand your place in the world. Maybe even and send yourself flowers. Maybe that can make you feel better in this I time, think that's right? That's nice. And also, you know, you're sitting in your house all day. There's nothing to stop you from taking a fabulous selfie that somebody might comment on. Oh, look at that you little know, thirst trap. Get something trap. else I love going. That. Get a little, I love that. A little thirst, a thirst trap. That's hysterical. Get, 
get that going. Uh, Rana, it's been so great talking to you about uh, love and relationships in this time where we're all nervous about it. Your podcast, Ask Rana, uh, with Rana and Brian every Tuesday, wherever podcasts are heard. Wherever you get your podcasts. And on Friday, we do a Patreon extra that people can sign up for. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Wow, this is going to be great. Thank you so much for spending some time with us thank tonight. You. And I have to tell you, too, I love your show. And oh, I thank lo- you. And I'm a lover of movies, so I love listening to you talk about it. I mean, well, you are. Fantastic. I don't think that's an easy thing to enjoy. You have to really love the people that you're spending that time with. Yeah, you two, I agree. You two make it a pleasure. So. Well, we're Rana, excited to be in a relationship you. with you. And, <laughs> yes, and you've inspired me to uh, add flowers to my grocery store order that I have coming this week. So thank you for that. It's my absolute pleasure, and it's wonderful to see your face, Amy. Lovely to see yours. <laughs> enjoy see the rest there, of the show. Bye. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. was great that was great you know to get us in the mood for this movie which is really all about relationships uh i'm i feel like i learned a little bit there me too i feel so heartwarmed and also uh inspired to carry on and make my house smell a little bit better when i cover <laughs> my house in roses like that by the way but i anyway, bought myself flowers i've done it me too honestly it's one of my favorite things to do for myself i will say one of the last things i bought at the store before uh i went full on in sconces i got some eucalyptus branches I was like, you know what? I'm getting my my oat milks. I'm getting my oak, my eucalyptus branches so I can pretend I have something alive in my house at all the times. I got aloe vera but. plants just in case I get injured. I got to swab that all <laughs> over. It's nature's medicine ready for me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's get into Clueless. But as I stumbled over and mangled in our introduction, you know, there is no Amy Heckerling film on the AFI Top 100. However, this particular film makes references to at least four films that we have covered on Unspooled. There are four AFI Top 100 references in Unspooled. And I'm kind of curious if um, people out there recognize anything. This is a pop quiz. Anybody? Can anybody name any of the AFI references that are in, in Clueless? I Paul, definitely saw two. I know for sure two. They kind of come together uh, or within in the area of each other uh, or surrounding shares new kind of obsession that uh young man that comes into the uh into the picture there but uh i'm I'm curious to see what the other ones were let's see let's see uh, what are people saying are we getting any answers on here so far yeah let's see all right well i'll give people a hint let's start with one of the very first ones which i think you are referring to it is a little bit of an homage to one of the films i adore very much 2001 a space odyssey yes Dun, dun, dun. And Kate Littleton actually got this reference because of the podcast. Uh, Amy Heckerling shoots Cher's phone as though it is the amazing obelisk monolith. I always forget whether it's an obelisk or a monolith. I get them confused all the time. Monolith. Monolith? It's a monolith. Oh, yeah. At obelisk least that's how I understand. Pointy. I, tried, I, I remember trying to memorize that. 
Um, or they're four-sided, something like that. I don't okay. know how that would come up in a conversation, so I don't think your lack of memorization is bad on this one. Oh, one of the first words my boyfriend and I ever had on a road trip was the difference between an obelisk and a monolith. You don't, oh, we don't want to go there. Um, Leslie Tackett, she um, identifies rebel without a cause, James Dean. And I wonder if she's talking about the absolute aesthetic of Christian, who is Cher's crush, who is very much a retro kind of dude. Um, in fact, one of the things that Christian says he loves is he in particular loves two films that are on the AFI list. They both star Tony Curtis. One of them is Some Like It Hot, and the other one is a movie that he makes Cher watch, which is Spartacus. We see a clip yes. of that right here. And he's in love with Tony Curtis in this movie, or at least he seems to be in lust with him when wa- watching him on the screen. <laughs> he is. Um, there's another really quick little one where Cher uh, makes fun of Josh by saying that she that he reminds her of a character who is in one of the AFI films that I think you agree we should kick off the list. Yes. Do you remember when this happens? I right do. Right here. She says that Josh looks like Forrest Gump and he gets so embarrassed that he takes off his hat. By the way, I again, this idea of this movie being 25 years old, it feels like uh, the fact that this movie is older than Forrest Gump uh, or Forrest Gump is older than this movie kind of blew my mind. And Forrest Gump must have just come out the year before when they started to make fun of it. So I like that it's already considered embarrassing. You know, we try to be like, oh, no, it took years for it to win a bunch of Oscars and thus regret no, that no. choice. And let me ask you this question, Paul. This is for you. Did you feel like you saw a little bit of All About Eve in this film with the dynamic between Cher and Ty? Oh, I really like that. You know, I've thought so much about this movie as like an adaptation of Emma that I didn't even think about All About Eve. But yeah, she created, you know, the only difference is, is that uh, Ty doesn't take Cher down. Like Ty gets popular, but has no ill will towards Cher. But I definitely see that idea that, you know, she made her over too well. Very much, very much. I mean, I think there's so much in this movie that is just timeless in terms of the dynamics it tells between humans and the stories that it tells that like, I love that it recalls back to so many gigantic classic films, but I want to jump back even further. And as we get into Clueless, I want to talk a little bit about Jane Austen herself and why Emma is such a revolutionary book. And I did a podcast on kind of a different angle of this a, a month ago um, on Jane Austen as like a political figure who used the novel to really insert a lot of ideas in that, in her novel about slavery, about the class structure. And I'm actually not even going to talk about any of that today. If you're curious about that, that is all out there. But one other thing that makes Emma such a revolutionary book is that Jane Austen actually used this book to invent a new experimental style of fiction that doesn't seem so new today because we're used to it. But she was one of the, she was the first novelist to do this. And so what Emma did, by the way, just as like a quick backup, um, Emma is the fourth book that Jane Austen publishes while she's alive. And it's actually the last book she publishes while she was alive. The next two that come out afterwards are drafts that she'd been working on that her family published after her death when she died. She died in her early 40s. So it was the last one that came out that she got to really appreciate. And in this book, it's one of my favorites because you see that she's working on trying to stretch the definition of what a novel can be. And so before Emma, all novels tend to be written in one of either two ways. They were first person, you know, and of course, first person is when you see like this narrow view of what's happening in the story only through the eyes of the main character or novels are told a lot in third person, you know, where the writer just lets us see everything really impersonally. But what Emma does here, what Jane Austen does with Emma is something really totally new. It's a book that is written in the third person. It's all about Emma did this. Emma said this. It's never about I, but it's about a character whose personality is so strong and so charming and so deluded and so bullying 
that the character of Emma kind of peer pressures the narrator into seeing the world how Emma does, which is something that had never happened. Like this is a book with an unreliable narrator, but it's an unreliable, omniscient narrator. And it makes the whole book kind of a trick. You know, it takes it takes reading Emma a few times to start to see all of these things that the narrator presses you to kind of miss because Emma is right. so self-centered in how she sees the world. You know, on the first reading, you don't really catch that, like, Elton has a crush on her or that Jane and French, Frank Churchill are having the secret affair. You don't catch that, like, a lot of people in town don't think Emma's that nice of a person. And so this is all a brand new revolutionary style of writing that people started to adapt after Emma. And... I love talking about it because I think there's a little bit of that spirit in the movie Clueless too. And I pulled the intro of the film just to kind of start to talk about this, about like how Emma and then Clueless became to me pretty revolutionary in how we tell stories. You're probably going, is this like an Oxima commercial or what? But seriously, I actually have a way normal life for a teenage girl. I mean, I get up, I brush my teeth, and I pick out my school clothes. Okay, so as you can hear there, like this is very much a first person story. But what makes Clueless different from other teen girl movies? I kind of want to go back and talk about it using Molly Ringwald as an example. So I pulled up a couple stills. Because before Clueless, we had a couple different types of teen girl protagonists in movies. You had lovable poor girls, like Molly Ringwald here. You had lovable middle class girls, like Molly Ringwald here. <laughs> and you also had Molly Ringwald playing like snobby rich girls who need to grow up. You know, characters that she you is a versatile really actress, Amy. What's your problem with Molly? <laughs> she can do it all, she can play every type of woman. It's not. It's just to help highlight what's new about Cher, because Cher takes that that vision of an unreliable pro- like protagonist who we're not supposed to really love and kicks it up. You know, Cher is really unique. Here's a picture of Cher, because she is a lovable rich girl who also still needs to grow up. You know, we didn't have a lot of lovable rich girls in films before this. Films that kind of sucker you into loving this protagonist who maybe you shouldn't love so much. You know, the way that the novel itself kind of was like, oh, Emma's great. Emma's charming. Everybody adores Emma. And after Clueless comes out, this kind of protagonist, like a rich girl who's just so great and delightful, it becomes a movie trend. It kind of kickstarts the movie trend just the way that that Jane Austen did with novels. You have movies like this. You have movies like Bring It On with like a lovable rich girl who needs to grow up. You have movies like this guy, Legally Blonde, a lovable rich girl that needs to grow up. And the culture starts to really worship rich girls at this point. I think Clueless starts this trend that becomes a super trend that becomes a kind of a Trend that I think goes really awry. Whoa, hold on. Can we talk about this shirt? Stop being poor. <laughs> Stop being poor. This is crazy. Yeah. I've seen a lot of crazy Paris Hilton things. This one, this might take the cake. Holy shit. Yeah. I think that there is kind of a loose connect the dots in in us spending the early 2000s convinced that rich people and billionaires were the coolest people on earth that kind of connect share to our kill all billionaires movement. It launched it. It launched the Paris Hiltons. It launched the Kardashians. And now we're like, wait, hold on. We hate billionaires. But I think Cher made us start to love rich people. And it's all in this idea of that goes back to like Jane Austen convincing us to love protagonists who are maybe not the best people and, can, and kind of suckering us into a mindset. 
Well, you know, Leslie Tackett in the group chat down there says, you know, shares an airhead, but she's also smart, which is something that you never really saw before. And I, I think that that's actually a really astute point. Like, like she is trying to do good, but she has a warped way of doing it. I think Legally Blonde follows that same kind of trajectory. It's like, she may not be smart to go to Harvard or when she goes, you know, it's like, but she's not just an airhead. And I think that that's actually a really unique distinction there too. I think that is really true. Although there is an airhead moment that I want to pull up in a second, but I appreciate Rob Tucker giving a shout out to that clip, which I kind of wanted to call it to say it myself. And I'm glad that he did that. um, Clueless opens the very first voice you hear in Clueless is the voice of Muff singer, Kim Shattuck doing the Muff's version of kids in America. And Kim passed away this year and she's a, Actually, the very first weekend of quarantine, I was supposed to go to a fundraiser for um, ALS, which was what she had. And um, she was awesome. And I'm glad to know that Rob Tucker is out there appreciating Kim Shattuck. But back to Clueless for a little bit. Um, What I want to say that's like kind of interesting about it is, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, Clueless might have been our first introduction to Emma if you hadn't read the book. And right. that this whole idea was new at the time of Clueless, because to be tr- to be completely honest, Clueless was the first time American audiences ever saw the story of Emma told in any sort of fashion on film. It's kind of hard to remember because starting in the 90s, there was, there was this huge trend of making Jane Austen movies. You know, now we have all sorts of crazy things like Pride and Prejudice versus Zombies. But before Clueless, there actually were not major mainstream Hollywood releases of Jane Austen movies. You had to go all the way back to 1940, to this movie version of Pride and Prejudice with Greer Garson and Laurence Olivier. There was this idea in Hollywood that you didn't want to make movies about Jane Austen novels because she was too wordy, because her books were too interior, they were too much in their characters' mindsets, they didn't make good stuff, they didn't make good productions. And it was after Clueless came out the next year that then you got Emma the one right here with Gwyneth Paltrow, and you started this huge trend. And actually, Gwyneth Paltrow said she was kind of sad about this. She gave this quote, I think it was in New York Magazine in 1996, right when her movie came out, that I think it's sad that America's first cultural reference to this movie will be clueless. I mean, honestly. To which I want to call the tiniest bit of bullshit. And first I will start by showing Emma's poster. So Emma's poster is the shot, you know, Emma with a bow and arrow. Yes, and if Gwyneth very much Paltrow, like a Cupid. Yeah, totally. Here's the thing. If Gwyneth Paltrow wants to get all on Clueless's jock for like not being authentically Jane Austen or whatever, in the Emma book, she done she never ever ever shoots a bow and arrow. Like she Emma steals a scene that's actually from the 1940 Pride and Prejudice. Is in the wow. 1940 Pride and Prejudice that there's this big whole like bow and arrow scene that became kind of iconically Jane Austen does not happen in Emma. So you could kind of argue that the Gwyneth Paltrow version of Emma is more questionable. I, I'm you know, just going to give a point to Clueless on, on the authenticity. But I don't think it's a bad thing when you adapt something and make it a totally unique version of, of what it's based on. Like, you know, we talk about adaptations all the time and the idea that like when it's such a direct adaptation, sometimes it falls flat. And to see this movie kind of satirize culture, and, and I think this movie exists now that you can watch it in 2020 and it feels just as alive as it was in 1995 – that's showing that it has like this timeless nature to it. It's a really smart adaptation. It's not just like this older version, you know, where I, I don't, I, I kind of applaud it for doing something different. I mean, I agree with you for sure on Clueless. And I, I don't hate the original Emma. I just want to throw a little shade at that Emma for throwing a little shade at Clueless. Can I throw some well, yeah. shade in its direction? Yeah, please. I think we should. But I think it's like, but you know, I don't think if, if Clueless was a terrible movie, then yes, say that, oh, America's first, you know, 
experience with this would be that movie. But it's a great movie. Embrace it and be like, and now we're going to go back and kind of do a more, you know, uh, straightforward adaptation. I agree. But I do think that Alicia Silverstone just makes perfect casting for this role of Emma, you know, as a character who's lovely and charming and wins you over, even though she's kind of existing in her alternate planet. And I want to play this one scene from where you see Alicia try to win over her entire classroom with one of her debates that get her like a C until she's upgraded. There's a cute little thing in this that actually um, was revealed when they started to do cast and crew interviews about the movie after the fact. Should all oppressed people be allowed refuge in America? Amber will take the con position. Cher will be pro. Cher, two minutes. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Uh, Amber, uh, reply. Mr. Hall, how can I answer that? The topic is Haiti, and she's talking about some little party. Hello, it was his 50th birthday. Whatever. <laughs> it's such no. a great scene, but it shows that kind of what we're talking about, that Legally Blonde, like that, her own way of interpreting something, it's not just dumb. It's not just stoner. It's it's something that is different, you know, It's or airhead, I should say. Well, yeah, except it wasn't entirely acting. And this is why I wanted to say, Elisa Donovan, who plays Amber, the girl who's like, whatever in yeah. that scene, she said that on the day they filmed that scene, Alicia Silverstone just doesn't, didn't know how to pronounce Haitians. She just said Hadians. And, and Elisa kind of panicked and she was like, oh, and she's about to interrupt the scene. And when she glanced over Amy Heckerling, Amy Heckerling was like, no, just let oh, her screw wow. that up. It is so perfect for that character. That's great. I didn't even realize that. Because that scene seems to me like such an audition scene. Like when Alicia Silverstone got this movie, I feel like she did that scene for all the producers and everything. Because it seems, it almost seems more heightened than the actual movie. Like she's a little bit more grounded than even that persona in that, in the movie. And it's a pretty heightened performance anyway. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
So let's get into Clueless. Let's deep dive a little bit more into this movie and uh, and set the tone of where we are. I know we talked a little bit about this film being 25 years old, but uh, I'll give you a little bit more information. Uh, so it's like totally 1995. People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive is Brad Pitt. Time Magazine's Person of the Year is Newt Gingrich. Bytes Magazine Best Thing Online is Homepages. <laughs> For the first time, Americans are shopping online at Amazon and eBay uh, and getting FDA-approved chicken pox vaccines using uh, Microsoft Windows 95 and slurping down Frappuccinos. There were Starbucks in this film. Uh, Timothy McVeigh launches a terrorist bombing of a federal building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people and injuring 680 others. Kind of a yin and yang to the Frappuccino fact. Uh, the first successful animal clone is created by the mammary cell of a sheep. The clone was named Dolly after a famous country singer known for her impressive mammary cells. That's weirdly sexist and misogynistic. Wow. Uh, Michael Jordan <laughs> returns to the NBA and OJ Simpson is found not guilty, uh, which, by the way, is not the same thing as innocent. The uh, top movies are Apollo 13, Babe, Jumanji, Braveheart, and Toy Story. Uh, so these are, you know, this is a big year. This is a good big year for movies. Um, you know what struck out to me in this viewing of the film is, and I don't think I ever really put it together, but it really is more satirical than I think I ever thought of it. I mean, these characters are these big, bold personas. It reminds me in a way, a little bit of South Park. It, it's lampooning so much um, and kind of taking itself out of 1995 while also embracing everything about 95. Yeah, even in that little clip that we saw earlier, you get um you get a sense of how Amy Heckling has just filled the entire backdrop of this film with tiny little in jokes. You know, half the kids in the school have little patches on their noses, little patches on their chins. All these Beverly Hills kids are in the middle of getting plastic surgery. You have clothes that are so, so, so of the moment trendy that they are designed to exist only in this moment, which I love because I feel like a lot of the times you go and see movies where they're trying to kind of play it a little bit safe. Everyone's in fine jeans, fine t-shirts. This knows it's going to look 1995 forever, but it shows us a moment where in 1995, fashion is all over the place. You know, what I enjoy about Clueless is you get a sense of that pivot moment that we're about to have happen in the 90s where grunge is fighting for dominance with the people who are about to rise up and become the Britney Spearses. You know, we're about to have that new teen dream sensation start over. And so yeah. you see in characters like Travis Birkenstock, Paul Rudd's character who's only listening to like Radiohead, this sense of the the culture clash that thought they were defining the 90s about to be taken over by these younger, cheerful, blonde, teen bop generations that were about to start, you know, the TRL craze. Yeah, I, I think at the first time... I had heard Radiohead was in this movie on this amazing soundtrack. You have a, you know, we talked about the Muffs opening up the film. You have the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones as just a band. They never call them the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones in the film. Uh, in that warehouse party, and this movie is so beautifully shot. That warehouse party seemed like they ran out of money. They just kind of put a uh, like a, like a const- like a construction mover in the back. It was a very uh, weird weirdly (laughs) empty like they were like it's a warehouse party in an actual like working warehouse like did someone just like let you go to like the amazon facility like i don't i I, it's much more believable like in brooklyn where it was like more of these abandoned warehouses not like just a literal functioning warehouse it's like the warehouse from beverly hills cop you know just it's like oh yeah we got the night manager let us set up a stage with a with a full band (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I have a question. Um, Do you think were the mighty mighty Boston's already double mighty, or were they just one mighty? Were they just the mighty Boston's? Like, were they getting oh, mighty? I thought they were the mighty mighty. Uh, well, maybe. Who knows? I mean, maybe they. Well, grew I just didn't know if their if their powers were growing. I mean, I hope. I, I mean, I think they have. I mean, you know, look, they uh, they still are kicking. I mean, twenty five years later, they're still doing it. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this movie in contrast to Fast Times, which is another Amy Heckerling movie, because uh, there are certain stereotypes that she's playing with in both. And the one that I was looking at the most is the character of Travis Birkenstock uh, and Sean Penn's character from Fast Times. Like they're two stoners and they're very different. Uh, and I thought that was actually a really clever way. You know, she's she's basically creating two archetypes of the same thing, but in, in totally unique ways. You're right. He's like a nouveau Spicoli. Yeah. 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 Um, he and that he actually does what Spicoli a... doesn't do, which is he goes to, to rehab. and <laughs> He starts to straighten out a little bit. It's like a more optimistic Spicoli. It's a Spicoli whose parents are maybe paying a little bit more attention to him. Yeah. And I think to me, he feels sweeter. I think Fast Times, obviously, based on this Cameron Crowe article about you know, teenagers in high school. So there's much more of a real world there. Here, I kind of thought it was oddly punitive to make him go to rehab for smoking weed. Like he didn't seem like that much of a stoner. He just seemed like a little bit of a stoner. And they really made him have to clean up to get the girl. And meanwhile, Brittany Murphy's character, who I think Brittany is fantastic in this movie. I have a whole new appreciation for her in this film. She is like doing or alludes to doing coke she's slept around she's done all this stuff and she doesn't seem to make any amends like she's like i'm not doing that anymore she just is just going and i thought that was an interesting at least a role reversal kind of a cool role reversal that the guy had to clean up to get the girl but the girl didn't have to do anything yeah no that's totally fair and i have to say Watching this movie again, I fell back in love with Brittany Murphy. You know, the, that character, every time she shows up on screen, she just, boom, she just lights up. I mean, she reminds me, you know, Mia Goth plays that version of that character in the new Emma. And Mia Goth has that same just kind of radiance. Mm. But there's something special about Brittany Murphy. When she breaks down in tears singing Rolling With My Homies and just can't control herself and starts to sob, there's something about her eyes and her smile that just feel completely completely just present, you know? It's an it's an oddly overshadowed performance because I think Alicia Silverstone is so, you can't take your eyes off of her. I mean, I watch this movie at a perfect time to be absolutely like in love with Alicia Silverstone. It was sort of like, oh my God, like this is, she's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. You know, I was right in that sweet spot for Aerosmith videos. And, and it's sort of that interesting moment where now when you have some distance, you can kind of see how everyone's doing an amazing job. Everyone's popping. She just was magnetic. I mean, you know, she is the centerpiece in a world with so many great character actors. I mean, also Wallace Shawn's in this movie, who's amazing. Uh, Dan Hedaya, who I love. Uh, Julie Brown. Uh, so many great performances. But she really unintentionally kind of hogs the spotlight. I think she just, the way she's dressed, the way she acts, it's just, she just nails it. It's fair, but I want to say, you know, in rewatching this, even though you can't take your eyes off her, it was only in this watch that I noticed something special about Cher's costumes as compared to everybody else. And I want to talk mm -hmm. about it for a second. Because, you know, yeah. the Cher outfit that's most famous is, of course, the yellow plaid one. But when I was really watching what she was wearing, I noticed that the the, the costumer, Mona May, takes pains to always dress Cher a little bit different from everybody else. It's not just that she's trendy, like everyone is trendy. She's trendy in a way that really subtly recalls 
Emma, the, the Regency style of fashion by wearing clothes that highlight this vague idea of a silhouette of the empire at waist. And I pulled this one out, this first clip as an example, because you see like ties and bright neon in a midriff. She's putting tie in a midriff. She, Dion is already in a midriff, but she's wearing this empire waist dress with a little bit of a ribbon. It's this kind of tiny subliminal Emma style. And you watch her like wear these empire waist dresses in all of the film. Let's, I've got a couple more of them. She wears an oh, empire yeah. waist dress to the mall. She wears an empire waist dress when she starts gathering food right here for the food bank and Travis Bickle gives up his bong. And when she's not wearing empire waist dresses, she's actually layering way, her- By the way, did you just say Travis Bickle? Oh, and I did. You, and by the way, that is what I want to see. I want to see Travis Bickle in here. By the way, she's a great simple shepherd. Let's remake that movie. Let's just take them right now. Like, oh, uh, there was actually it- a movie review that compares Alicia Silverstone to uh, Sybil Shepherd. It said she's a Sybil Shepherd who can act, which I found offensive. And I didn't pull that one because she can yeah, act. Yeah, right. But I, I want to show you this. Even when she's not wearing literal empire waist dresses, she's layering her clothes in a way that are a subtle empire waist. Which I love that. Here she is in the gym outfit, wearing kind of a tiny tank top over it. She wears her vest over her shirt, like to, to create another Empire Waist silhouette. And then in her big emo scene, she's also doing another Empire Waist outfit with her tiny little sparkly vest over this long white shirt. And so I was just knocked out by Mona, Mona May's costumes because she's not just creating a, an iconic style, she's creating something with a lot of intelligent design behind it. And I just yeah. worship that about it. And I had to give Mona a special salute. There's actually a great special feature on the DVD uh, or the streaming, whatever you get it from iTunes, uh, just about Mona May. I was watching it, and there was one thing that jumped out at me. There's 53 different kinds of tartan plaid used in this movie, uh, seven which were worn by Cher and 12 by other major characters. I mean, she also really doubled down on that plaid. Uh, and I think that that is an interesting, uh, it's an interesting look that you don't often see out there, or at least I don't. I mean, I'm not a fashionista. I don't know anything. Well, I have to but, say, uh, I spent the 90s going to a Catholic school and all we had yes. to wear was plaid and knee socks. And so Clueless oh. was a thousand percent the most iconic look I could have ever done. That movie could not have come out at a better time. That movie in The Craft, oh, terrific yes. time I mean, to be a Catholic school girl. I am a Catholic school boy. And that was, I mean, my image of all women are essentially in that thing. Cause it's like everybody <laughs> that I had a crush on was in a, a Catholic school girl dress. But you know, before we move on from clueless though, I want to talk about Paul Rudd just for a little bit and play my yeah. evil guessing game on you. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. But before we even talk about Paul Rudd, I want to say, obviously he's in this movie, but you know, he wasn't the first choice. There's a few different choices in here. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, or I shouldn't say he wasn't the first choice. He was one of many people considered, and I thought these would be interesting. Um, Jeremy Renner, Ben Affleck, and Zach Braff. Wow. So Zach Braff, you could have had a mini scrubs there. Uh, but Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner, really interesting. A young Jeremy Renner in this role. They all kind of share something very similar. Renner uh, and Ben Affleck and, uh, and of course, and Zach Braff is a little bit different. I think that Paul Rudd is kind of the perfect choice because he's got everything you kind of want. He's sweet. He's actually funny and you feel like he, uh, you know, and he's attractive. I think he's got like every element of it. And I feel like those other characters are good, but he's the most realized. I feel like when you're watching this movie, you're seeing the Paul Rudd that we know now, not like the Paul Rudd. I mean, it's there, all those little things and asides. You feel him improvising and having fun in this movie. I mean, I have to be honest. I didn't know there was such a thing as a young Jeremy Renner. I just thought <laughs> he showed up in the Hurt Locker and that was it. I thought was he was it. born from his mother's womb, a mature uh, 
battle scars. You would have been way too brooding for this movie. Just like, I couldn't have, I couldn't have bought a brooding. <laughs> it would have been too brooding for me. All right. So play okay. your Paul Rudd game to me. Yeah. All right. I'm going to play my Paul Rudd game. But first I will say it is no surprise that Paul Rudd was not the first choice for this because he was not a movie actor at the time. He had not been in any movies. Clueless was his very first movie. It was his movie debut. Uh, but if his timing had just been a little bit off, he would not have had this amazing of a movie debut. He would have had a much more embarrassing movie debut because the movie that came out a few months later was this, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, Paul Rudd's second movie. Um, oh, and if you're wow. wondering what Paul Rudd is doing in a Michael Myers movie, he was playing Tommy in Who is Tommy? If you remember the very first Halloween, yes. Tommy is the little kid that Jamie Lee Curtis is babysitting the night that Michael Myers comes to visit. So in Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, which is possibly the worst of all the Halloween sequels, I might even just say definitively it is the worst of all the Halloween sequels, he plays a grown-up Tommy, traumatized by these events, and I just had to play the acting of Paul Rudd in this clip when he's in a hospital trying to break a girl out or blah, 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 and he finally sees Michael for the first time since he was a boy. Oh my gosh, that was better than I could have possibly ever imagined. Oh man, that is funny. His little It's it's almost like he's doing a a parody. And I don't know if it's because I love Paul Rudd so much. Uh but it is, it's wow, that is amazing. I mean we all got to make it look somebody post, posted yesterday on Instagram um, a version of me being attacked by piranha that were not in the actual finished movie. It just it just was like me fighting off where the CGI was going to go in. And uh, I can laugh at that because I also feel like I did that. So there it is. <laughs> uh, but people you are saying on the chat. He's, he's so cute. People just love that he's cute. People in the chat don't yeah. care. He's cute. He has some amazing scenes. There's some scenes where he runs around a hospital holding a baby screaming and being a crazy person. I mean, I, it's the only good reason to watch Halloween 6, which otherwise is not a nightmare. Right. But so here's the game that I want to play on you, Paul. I want you to give the answers, but people um, in our chat room can also type out their answer. It's a pretty easy guessing game. You have one of two options. It's three rounds. It's the Paul Rudd age guessing game because as he okay. is an ageless person, I thought this would become very hard. So the game is simply who is Paul, who is older, Paul Rudd, or X. Are you ready? Okay, got it. All right, I'm going to show some pictures to help it out. Round one, who is older, Paul Rudd today or Wallace Shawn at the time he made Clueless? I'm going to say Wallace Shawn at the time he made Clueless. All right, I'm going to give people another second to place their bet or just yell it out loud if they want. And yes, the answer is Wallace Shawn at the time of Clueless, but only by one year. In this picture, one Wallace year. Shawn is, one what? year. Wallace Shawn is one year older than Paul Rudd is today. All right. Okay, question two. Who is older here? Paul Rudd at the premiere of This is 40 or JFK the day that he was inaugurated? Well, because I think you have to be 40 years old at least to be the president. I'm going to say JFK is older. You are incorrect. Paul Rudd is older by one month at the premiere of This is 40. You're really getting me on these months. Okay, great. Oh, yeah, okay, next? twin. Okay, twinzo. Okay. <laughs> and the last question, round three. Who is older? Paul Rudd, when he made his very first ever screen debut in the NBC sitcom Sisters with Susie Quartz, 
or the current record holder for the world's oldest hamburger. Wait, wait. The oldest hamburger versus <laughs> Paul Rudd? Yeah, versus Paul Rudd when he made well, his Paul Rudd's his, definitely his older TV than debut. the world's oldest hamburger. Well, Paul Rudd's got to be older than the hamburger at this point. Okay, Paul Rudd is older than the hamburger, but just Thank God. Oh, by, only by two years. Uh, this summer, the world's oldest hamburger is going to turn 21 years old. Um, that man in the picture, David Whipple, he bought the burger, put it in his pocket, and forgot about it. Found it a little bit over a decade later. I was like, oh my goodness, it must be the world's oldest hamburger and has such preserved it in its state. He does have the receipt as proof of the hamburger's age. As you can see, the First hamburger all, is put July 1999. Pocket? He put it in it. Who puts a hamburger? What animal puts a hamburger in your pocket? <laughs> like, what are we doing? It's not like a, a, it's not animal crossing. You're not just throwing stuff like, there you go. Put it in my pocket. It's like a LucasArts game. Um, oh my gosh. Uh Amy, I wanted to ask you, we were talking about Emma before, and, you know, obviously Jane Austen's style of writing is very unique, but what makes this movie timeless? I I was trying to figure out, like, what is it about this story? Why do we revisit Emma? There's a great adaptation of Emma this year that I absolutely loved. I thought it was really well done. It was incredibly funny and beautiful and just perfect. But why do we revisit this? Like, what about this film or the story is universal? I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to answer in the universal, but I can definitely answer for me, which is it makes me uncomfortable how much I relate to Emma and to share to this character who walks through life thinking you're a good, happy person who contributes a lot and realizes and has to realize and has to probably keep realizing your entire life. Um, you could be doing better. You know, there's something right. in 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 the spirit of Emma and thinking in the, in the quest for self-improvement, even if your life seems pretty okay, you know, even if you're pretty likable, you have a very rad cat who's right here, you know, you feel like you can go through your day time and time again. It's a message about not being oblivious, you know, to what you have, to appreciate what you have and also figure out more ways to share and to give and to not screw up, you know, to not just like yeah. shrug and think your life is great. Yeah, That's I guess me. I don't know. That, I don't know how you feel. No, I, well, I think that we all probably have that, like this idea of like, proper self-reflection. Like, I think we all view ourselves one way and we think we're doing our best, but you know, it, it takes a, it's a real challenge to look at ourselves and, and really, you know, change course. I think that's the hard thing because it's easy to justify everything to yourself. And that's what I love about this story is you're getting to see a juxtaposition of what she's saying, what she's doing and how other people treat her and how she treats other people. And you know, there's some sweetness there, but there's also like a little bit of a bulliness there. I mean, the fact that she's pairing these teachers together, like, well, why does she have to do that? Like, you know, she's she's taking it upon herself. Um, that's really interesting. You know, I made a mistake earlier. I said that when uh, you showed that clip of her auditioning or when she was uh, talking about the Haitians, that scene is like, oh, that's probably an audition scene. I just found out uh, from the chat here that Alicia did not have to audition. She did not have to audition. She was just given the part right out of the music videos. This is like kind of, I mean, this is kind of back in the day when I guess they were like, she's got the goods, bring her in, you know? Um, And this is a movie that may have not have ever been made. It was a TV show uh, to start off with that Amy Heckerling couldn't sell. Uh, And then it, through, uh, you know, through a whole bunch of different ways, it got to Scott Rudin. Scott Rudin read it, he loved it, and he got it. And I think people weren't getting it because the language in the movie is a bit weird. They invented this slang, like the word Baldwin, you know, which is not really a term, but then it became a term because of the movie. And a lot of studio executives thought 
oh, there's too many female characters in this movie. Can we change some of the characters, make them more male? Not more male, just make them male. And this movie barely got made, but through the belief of a couple of key people. And then it comes out and it's it's a huge hit, much to everyone's chagrin. And, and I think, you know, we're always constantly surprised when you have a, a female-fronted film. And a movie like this that actually, surprisingly, especially based on the AFI list, has people of color in it. Like, that's another thing. I feel like it's just not a white movie, uh, which is also kind of amazing to see. And it does really well. And we're always surprised, whether it's Mean Girls, whether it's Sex in the City, you know, Girls Trip. We're like, oh, oh I guess people want to see uh, women in movies. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, what what is the reaction when this film comes out? Do you know at all? Most people do really, really love this film. Um, and I love everything that you're absolutely saying about it. You know, I think Amy Heckerling is such a dead-on director in the vision that she wanted to bring forth to the world. And it is nice to see people like Olivia Wilde try to figure out the spirit of this and how to carry it on. It's a tough yeah. act to follow, but I would love to see a gazillion films like this. Um, however, I pulled a negative review from Entertainment Weekly, written by Owen Lieberman, a man, a man and a critic that I do adore very, very much. Uh, we are roommates when we go to Sundance every year for variety. But this is what he had to say about Heathers. He said, <clears throat> The mixture of Heathers and Sandra D does not quite wash. It's like biting into a tamale and finding it filled with marshmallow fluff. What's more, the characters are so scrubbed of individuality that it's never remotely clear which guy Cher should end up with. The skateboarder, the smoothie who looks like George Michael's kid brother. No, she finally falls for her stepbrother, Paul Rudd, a twist so bizarre it makes you wonder if Heckerling is warming up for the Sunyi Previn story. Then again, this lover boy is such a bland mensch, to me he looked like a real Barney, that even the vague whiff of symbolic incest carries no weight. So Owen Lieberman was not early on to the Paul Rudd appreciation train. Well, you know, it's interesting. We talked about this earlier about this. It's a little weird, right, that she's with her stepbrother uh, in this film. Uh, I think that we just take it for granted that they were together maybe a very short period of time. We never really get the facts on it. Uh, It seems like like Paul Rudd's mom marries a lot of different men. Uh, It is odd. It is odd. Uh, well, yeah, but here's the thing. I also thought it was odd that Paul Rudd's girlfriend, the girl he's like kind of making out with when Cher calls him from the Valley, is really irritated by Cher. It's like, it's like this is my sister who's literally stuck in the Valley. like, And she she treats her like an enemy. So the whole movie is a little askew when it comes to that because – it, it, it doesn't like position her like a, a kid's sister ever. Like they do a lot to kind of keep that at bay. It's, I would say the oddest choice in the film. I mean, make him a next door neighbor, make him a family friend, you know, but to make him a stepbrother is odd. It is odd. And, <laughs> but they, they don't, they don't really drill it much more. Like he seems to come to visit every now and then. I don't know. It, it does, I mean, it never really affected me, but when you think about it, like we talked about big last week, uh, it's weird. It's a little, it ages in a weird way. Okay. Well then as we're sort of winding up and we just kind of wrap up our last couple of segments, yeah. I'm going to give audiences the time to kind of answer this question on their own in the chat, which is, do you out there think that Cher and Josh stay together? Like, what do you think happens oh. at the end of this movie? I, you know, well, I want to give people the time to answer that. All right. I um, love that. And, and we can ask the question that we always ask, uh, is there Simpsons about Clueless? There is kind of, there is kind okay. of. Um, There's an episode of The Simpsons from 1998 called Lard of the Dance. And in this episode, 
a new girl shows up in Springfield. Her name is Alex Whitney, and she is kind of a Cher dresser. She at least copies all of Cher's outfits, even though she's voiced um, she's voiced by Lisa Kudrow. So her her Cher energy isn't that strong, but mm-hmm. her Cher look is absolutely dead on. Um, what happens is when Alex Whitney shows up to school, she decides to make over everybody. Everybody starts getting fashionable. If you want to see Lisa Simpson put on a really sexy dress and wiggle around school, that is in this episode. It's a little bit oh, uncomfortable. Uh, but here is where Alex takes people to the mall. Okay, girls, we're gonna need balloons, crepe paper, party hats. Whoa! You've got a dingo junction here? I am not wearing this. Oh, come on, Lisa. It's totally you. Just, you know, add some accessories, lip gloss, maybe drop five pounds. Aren't we a little young for makeup and... What do you mean, five pounds? Well, you want to look nice for your date. Date? Hello? For the dance? (laughs) You guys have dates? Hello? Stop saying hello! Okay, calm down, Lisa. DMY. What's DMY? Don't mess yourself. Ew. Yeah, that's why we changed it to DMY. Don't worry, Lisa. There's still plenty of time. You'll get a date. I don't want a date! And I don't want to wear perfume and cocktail dresses. Am I the only one who just wants to play hopscotch and bake cookies and watch the McLaughlin group? Hello? Hello? Well, Amy, you asked a question that I'm going to answer for you right now. You said, do, you know, do Cher and Josh stay together? And um, did you know that there's kind of a clueless sequel? Tell me more. Okay. All right. So Clueless originally originated as a TV show, like I mentioned, and then it came back to TV. Uh, Rachel Blanchard took over the role of Cher, but most of the class stayed intact, including Wallace Shawn. Dan Hedaya did not. Uh, Michael Lerner took over his role. But this show is really interesting because it is not only filled with many, or I should say most of the actors in the film, but it's also a majority of the episodes were written and directed by Amy Heckerling, like really? more than one, like uh, like per season. Like Amy had her hands on this uh, TV show, and I want to show you the future that she envisioned uh, for Cher or the continuing know that. adventures. I never this actually is, saw this, the show. This is from the pilot episode, which was actually not the pilot, but they aired it first, where you kind of see Cher and uh, and the classmates, and you get an idea of how they reintroduce Ty. And I'm going to tell you some other facts about it as we go, but I got a couple clips to kind of give you the clueless sequel that you didn't know you needed. Here you go. My friend Ty is from New York. I keep trying to make her over, but she just keeps falling back apart. Oh, Ty, you're self-tan. Did you forget to use a moisturizer? I took a shower. Isn't that moisture? Exfoliate in the evening. I knew that zebra was in, but I didn't know we were taking it that far. (laughs) Vacuum pack it, Amber. Maybe if I put more tanner on the white parts. Oh, help me, Sean. Oh, Sean, help me. Sean, you didn't moisturize. You've gone straight. So a little (laughs) clip of what is going on. That's written and directed by Amy Heckerlin. The show looks a little... Uh, more sitcom-y. Um, and I want to say that, obviously, uh, people like Paul Rudd didn't come back. She did have her stepbrother in the show. Um, but that love interest was never reconnected. As a matter of fact, they kicked him off the show after the first season. Um, kicked him uh, off? But I wanted to show, yeah. Like I, I wanted to kind of show you, though, how Paul Rudd 
uh, shows up in the show. He comes up as a different character, also written by Amy Heckling, directed by Amy Heckling. He's a college student who uh, he and Cher start kind of having a relationship. And this is a, a different character, but Paul Rudd and Cher and enjoy. Cher, I knew you were in high school, but uh, I thought you were like 18. You seem so... Mature. I was going to say tall. How old are you? I just turned 16. Well, I'm almost 21. Oh. You've never been alone with a guy before, have you? No. And I'm really... I'm not really ready to go as far as you think I am. I'm sorry. That's okay. We don't have to do anything. But Cher, I'm not one of those guys that goes out with a girl younger than he is so he can mold her into the type of girlfriend he needs. I think you should date somebody your own age. I don't want to date guys my own age. They're stupid. They make fun of everything. They fight. Well, I should tell you that I got accepted to Berkeley and uh, I'm, I'm going to go next semester. I'd still like to call you. I may see you when I come down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe if I get older, like I'm like 19 and you're you're 24, or I'm 18 and you're 23, then, you know, we... Maybe. <laughs> How many Sonny and shares are there? <laughs> so we're getting to see a little different <laughs> side of Cher. Uh, what, what's with that sentimental music? Oh, this movie, this TV show goes to some after-school special moments. There's an episode where Cher's dad loses all of his money. The first pilot episode, she like fills in for a gossip columnist. There's a lot of ups and downs. Um, and this is of Brittany Murphy, also reprising, or not reprising her character, playing a different character, but she reprosed or reprised this character multiple times on the show. And this is them taking a driver's test. Uh, take a look. Hey, you! Would you move it? I haven't got all day! There you go. <laughs> Clueless. You get to see the sequel that is out there. Now. And I think it is a sequel to a way in a way because Amy wrote and directed these episodes. I never thought when I was doing the research, I was going to be like, oh, let's make fun of this show. It's so crazy. It's so not her vision. It is her vision. Like she is hands on and she got most of the cast to come in. Uh, except for Alicia and uh, and Bronson Prince, uh, Pinchot plays uh, a school teacher that she has a crush on in episode seven, which is great. They recast the dad in season two, but it was on for uh, basically like 60 episodes. There's a lot of episodes here. They really it went from like ABC to UPN. Moesha shows up in an episode or she's at least called out in the scream episode uh so if you want they're all on youtube and you can kind of live a little bit more of a clueless life uh you know there you go <laughs> that is to say 
mean, this seems designed to teach kids that characters are not real, right? <laughs> like you need to understand that these characters are fantasy, that there is no real tie. We were going to make tie like a crazy, as somebody is writing in the comments, some sort of like fast and furious Vin Diesel, tie Diesel. I love it. <laughs> well, that I mean, that's the, but that also is not tie. That's a different character. She's totally exactly. creating there. It's not so. tie. It's not tie. Um, we want to keep on doing these spool parties. We want to keep on going. And I want to just give a shout out, uh, first of all, to Kim Troxall, who designs all of our amazing graphics. That, that, that weight screen that you saw at the top, probably for longer than you wanted to, was designed by her. She does all of our art that you see popping up every week. And the music Absolutely at the, the top best. of the show was, uh, was Devin, our, our engineer, who's running the scenes behind the scenes right now. But we wanted and, uh, to forming ask you- a hypnotic cult with that music. Uh, you can tweet at us. You can join us on Facebook. Kate Littleton uh, runs an amazing Facebook group uh, that had a Very great much. trivia contest. Uh, this is so great. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this little uh, tribute to Clueless. Um, and if you enjoy this, check in, definitely check out our podcast, Unspooled. Uh, we have about 90 episodes. We kind of break it down in every different way. Uh, so we'll be back. We'll be back soon. Amy, always a pleasure. Uh, thank you to our guest, uh, Rana Glickman, a.k.a. Jessica Chaffin. Thank you all for tuning in tonight, and we will see you on the next Unspooled Spool Party live stream. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.